1: Talk the best and worst free agent options, and we make our predictions. Let's go. My name is Mike, and welcome to The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast. Sam Cooper, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well, Mike. How about you?
1: I'm pretty good. How are you feeling about the uh, draft that was the last episode? I know we're all kind of in the afterglow of the NBA draft. How are you feeling about that? Still happy?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. The draft last week was absolutely great. Um, you know, we had our episode a few days ago with our reactions, and I think we were both pretty much buzzing with happiness after that draft. Um, still, this is like the craziest part of the off season. So I guess you always look forward and, you know, start thinking about free agency too, but that we can always remind ourselves, no matter who the Suns sign in the upcoming weeks that at the end of this off season, we'll have Deandre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges, uh, not to mention Elliot Cobo. So, uh, a lot of bright spots, uh, as we look ahead to the upcoming season.
1: I don't know about you, but I've been actually pretty surprised of a lot of Suns fans reactions to the Mikhail Bridges trade. A lot of people felt that was an overpay, which I guess you could kind of defend, you know, you can kinda defend that opinion. Maybe it was a little bit of an overpay, but Mikael Bridges is such a good fit next to Devin Booker. I was surprised that so many fans were so mad at McDonough for trading that pick.
2: Yeah, I think he's exactly the type of fit that we needed on this team, given his three-point shooting and his defense. Ultimately, no one's going to be able to really judge this trade until like 2023, so check in with us in five years (laughs) if this podcast uh, is hopefully still going, which we intend for it to be. And uh, talk to us then about evaluating that trade a couple years after that 2021 pick conveys, and we can see who the uh, Sixers end up taking with that pick.
1: Yeah, I think that's the ultimate judge of it. Now, we want to talk about, before we get into anything, we do have a Twitter account. I keep forgetting to mention it at the beginning of the podcast. It is The Timeline Pod. Please follow us on Twitter. We've been posting a lot of interesting stats and other interesting things. We'd like to have interaction with people that are listening uh, or just people that are Suns fans in general. So find us, The Timeline Pod. Hopefully, we can be an entertaining enough follow. At the very least, you're going to get some more sun's stats in your in your feed and your timeline there so give us a follow interact with us tell us you like us tell us we suck however you want to feed it uh, so next thing i want to go into there's actually been a lot of news this time of year so we're going to go into a new segment we're going to call it the news All right, first news item. This one is by Shams Charania. Sham wow. Sham That's right, Sham Wow. Shams said the Phoenix Suns and number 31 overall pick Elia Kobo of France have agreed on a 4-year, 6 million dollar rookie deal. Uh, league sources tell Yahoo, Kobo's deal will be guaranteed in the first 2 seasons with a team option in years 3 and 4. 6 million dollar contract for a second round pick that's a pretty massive deal for a second round pick what do you think of that deal
2: well uh, yeah i mean i love it personally six million dollars um overall over those four years um just judging from that tweet we don't know exactly where like what the start and end figures are there so i don't know how much he's starting with it may be as little as like one million Mm -hmm. uh in year one with then you know incremental increases uh, but yeah, I mean I like that we're showing this long term commitment to Kobo's development. There are hopes that he could be I, I don't think anyone should expect him to be our t- long term starting point guard, but he's gonna come in to the season and really have an opportunity to play a lot, I think. And I don't know how other Suns fans feel. I don't know how you feel even necessarily about Brandon Knight's capabilities of returning from this injury and immediately being a Capable starting point guard, but I have my doubts. And I believe that if we actually go into next season with Brandon Knight as the opening day starter, there will be plenty of opportunities for Elia Kobo to um, maybe encounter some issues at first, but eventually start out playing him at least within the next couple of years and have his fair share of looks in terms of uh, playing with Booker in the backcourt. So I think it's great showing the long term commitment.
1: I think it's great too. I think an important part to talk about is that he was still under contract in the French team that he was on. So We kind of had to pay a little extra to make sure that he comes over. I don't think there was ever any doubt when they picked him that he would be playing in the NBA uh, this coming season. But you kind of do have to pay for that. We saw the Kings paid uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich a massive deal just to get him to come over. And I think this is a similar thing. Maybe overpaying a little bit to ensure that he comes over next season. I think it shows how much faith McDonough has in this pick. They seem to be really uh really happy with it. They're paying for it. They're paying to get him out of his deal and they're giving him a, a pretty good contract right up front. So that's our takes. There's also some other takes that I saw online. Uh Kevin O'Connor. Kevon, as we've called him. <laughs> he did have a take I saw on Twitter. That's a big deal for a second rounder, he said, and well worth it. I'm still surprised he slipped. kobo was my eighteenth ranked prospect, and that may end up looking too low. So kevin o'connor kev on thinks that maybe he should have been picked a lot higher most draft boards had him a lot higher so this is getting me pretty excited about that now the next thing dave king, is this your king? Yeah, that's right that's a new drop dave king is this your king? You, oh before we even get to what dave king said did you see dave king accidentally called deandre Ayton, Joel? <laughs>
2: I was saying that should be the real drop for Dave King. <laughs> I really <laughs> like. No, I mean Dave's a Dave's a great yes. guy. He's done such a good job covering the Suns for so many years, and it's it's almost sad that that's like what the Suns fans have been giving him a hard time about that over the past. Few I days. really like Dave King, but um, but the, the reactions, the reactions that DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges, even uh, Elia Kobo, uh, were giving him when that slip up happened, that was that yeah, was hilarious.
1: It, it kind of lets you know their personalities a little bit. uh, DeAndre Ayton did not like it, which I really like. You know, Why would you want him to like being called the wrong name, but especially someone who was talking shit on Twitter to him. Uh, but uh, Mikhail Bridges thought it was hilarious, which I thought it was hilarious. I was actually listening live as it happened and <laughs> I felt awkward just listening to it. I can't imagine how Dave King felt. I really like Dave King. I didn't want to call him out by playing a drop of him making a mistake every time we talk about him, so I took the Black Panther clip instead. But Dave King... Is this your game? has stated that Okobo will play in Summer League. So there wasn't any uh, assurance that he would be in the NBA at all at first. We kind of assumed he would. Now we know he will be. We know how much money he'll be making as long as he makes it through all four years of his contract. And we know he'll be in Summer League. I'm pretty excited to watch him in Summer League.
2: Yeah, Summer League should be fun. Uh, Starts... What in a week and a half?
1: Yeah, July sixth. July 6th. It's not, well, yeah, two weeks basically.
2: We get to see our new point guard in action a little bit, and there's, you know, has I don't believe there's been any word on Josh Jackson playing yet. Um, he might do the Devin Booker thing that Devin Booker did after his rookie year, right, where he he plays a couple games but not all of them. But potentially, if all of the Suns like first and second year players are actually in the roster, we should we should win. I really think we yeah, should win this.
1: I would hope so. Uh, the the rumors were that just josh jackson was going to play those were probably unfounded rumors that i saw uh, on reddit so (laughs) who knows how true it is but i'm hoping that it's true imagine seeing a kobo josh jackson uh deandre Ayton, and mikhail bridges all playing together that sounds pretty fun
2: yeah it it definitely does and we get to see some of that athleticism on display so um yeah no word about who's coaching them either as of now i believe but uh definitely look to more updates from us in the future about that and uh I'm I'm really looking forward to watching Summer League once free agency gets going in about a week.
1: Yeah, and I don't think I've said it yet, but I'll be at Summer League this year. So if you're going to be there, uh, hit me up on Twitter or Reddit, and maybe we can uh, get some uh, clips to put on the podcast. I'm excited to watch this team in person. I'll be there the 6th and the 7th for the first two games. All right, the next news item, the great Scott Bordeaux. Great Scott. He reported that Tyler Ulysses' guarantee date, which was supposed to be uh, uh, today, the day we're recording this is Sunday, the 24th, was pushed back to June 30th. So they punted. They're not letting us know what's going to happen with that contract. I was hoping, I was actually waiting to record this until after we found out if Tyler Ulysses was guaranteed or not. This is kind of a weird situation. What do you think about this?
2: Well, we know, here's what we know. Right now, the Suns have more players on the roster than they have available roster spots, and that's even before free agency started. We also know that the Suns are interested in being at least somewhat aggressive in free agency, according to some reports. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So if the Suns want to make any moves, got to make cuts. And, you know, it's, I guess, a little confusing to me that they'd punt on this. Um, it's a hard decision, definitely, but it's just going to have to be made before July 1st. Out of that group of Shaquille Harrison... Davon Reed, Tyler Uliss, and Alan Williams even, you could make the argument that one or two of those guys, Alec Peters as well, that's a name that I forgot, definitely one or two of those guys is going to have to go. Um, you have other guys like Daniel House. I think there's about a 0% chance of Daniel House coming back. So a lot of our sort of depleted second unit that we were rolling out for the second half of last season is potentially going to be gone next season in favor of these shiny new rookies and maybe a couple free agents.
1: The six thirty, the June thirtieth date is interesting to me because it is the day before free agency begins. And as you know, for free agency, you're not supposed to have any meetings with agents or any players until after that July first date. As we know, things happen because July first at midnight, the the minute it strikes July first, Woj is is dropping bombs all over us, telling us exactly who's signing where. They're not even supposed to be having conversations yet, and yet all these teams know who they're signing. So, 630 days is interesting. It kind of gives me a hint that the Suns are maybe going to have some conversations with agents or players a little before they're supposed to, or maybe it's trade related. Maybe they pushed it back to that date to see if they can get some trades in before free agency starts and they want to know what kind of point guards we're going to have on our roster before they sign Yuliss to that deal now. It would just be for those who don't know what we're talking about, Ulis has a year left on his contract. It's a guaranteed. It's a non-guaranteed year. It's actually two years of non-guaranteed years. They can agree that he's part of the team for this year. He'd make, I believe, $1.5 million, and that they decided to not let us know yet. So soon we'll find out about that. It's actually not that far away, and we get to know exactly what's going to happen with Ulis. On our last episode, we talked about if we had to choose between Shaquille Harrison or Ulis. Both Sam and I thought Shaquille, but there's complications with Uless. He's Devin Booker's best friend. It'd be hard to to cut him.
2: Yeah, he is. He is Devin Booker's best friend. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I hope Devin is mature enough to realize that the Suns need to get better um, and that it's a business. But it's still a hard conversation to have if the Suns end up cutting Tyler Uless. I'm sure Booker and and other guys want him on the team. I'm sure he's a good guy to have in the locker room, uh, to say the least.
1: Maybe they should just offer Devin Booker and Tyler Uless a joint contract where they get to decide how much they split the money Mm -hmm. between the two of them and then promise them that they'll play together forever. That's an
2: ingenious idea. I'm almost surprised that we haven't tried that before. I just thought
1: of it. I I just thought of it. I don't know. All right, another another news item from the great Scott Bodo. He also said that McDonough said the Suns would be aggressive in free agency. Now, we saw that McDonough also said we would be aggressive in the draft, and that turned out to be true. We traded... Uh, what is apparently the most valuable asset in the NBA, according to all national <laughs> media outlets now, with South. that Miami pick, even though Miami's good every year and always makes the playoffs and has one of the best coaches and GMs? Did you in know the that league. because of
2: the end of the one and done rule in 2021, that draft class is going to be eight times bigger it's than It's twice your the
1: size. One. It will be amazing. It Everyone keeps knows getting bigger.
2: 16 yeah. times the size your average draft class. It's Better than bound, ever seen before. Bound to draft all stars one through 45.
1: Yeah, it's the most valuable asset now. But they were aggressive. I mean, we can agree with that. I didn't. I didn't think that pick would be on the table for anyone except for maybe Kemba Walker or, or a bigger trade. I'm happy it happened, but the aggressiveness was there. And now we know that aggressiveness will also be there for free agency. He also said that we want to target a veteran point guard and a stretch for. Stretch four, I think, was an interesting thing that he said. It wasn't just a power forward. He wants a power forward that can shoot threes.
2: Anthony Tolliver kind of and Channing Fry are both free agents, by the way. <laughs> I, and I can, can sell think me of, on Channing Fry. <laughs> I can think of no better stretch fours if that's all you're looking for. To, you can uh, sell
1: me on Channing Fry. I love Channing Fry.
2: Yeah, no, I don't, I don't want Channing back. I've had enough with Dudley. I mean, I love Channing, but you know, we'll talk about our other options in, in a few minutes.
1: Well, I will say Channing Frye stays in shape. I mean, I love Jared Dudley too, but he's looking kind of thick. <laughs> all right, yes, so I now- mean, we I have... don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> you can pretend like you didn't notice, but we've all noticed. Um, so free agency, now that we're getting into that free agency conversation, we're going to have to break that down. Let's get into a segment I'm calling The Breakdown. free agency is a massive conversation so we're going to try and split this up into a a couple digestible sections here first thing i want to talk about to me the most important deal that we need to get done this offseason you can all guess it of course it is shaquille harrison no i'm just kidding it's devin (laughs) booker contract extension devin booker is eligible for a contract extension on july 1st We can sign him. The the contract extension actually wouldn't kick in until the 2019-2020 season, but he can sign it as early as this year. If he does not sign an extension, he becomes a restricted free agent. We will match whatever he gets, but he has the opportunity. That's nothing to worry about. (laughs) Yeah. We're not losing Devin Booker in any way, uh, but we have the opportunity of locking him down now long-term. I think it's a priority for the Suns. What do you think?
2: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I just said we have nothing to worry about if he becomes a restricted free agent, but I think it's just a show of good faith. Offer him the max contract now. I don't think there are any Suns fans out there that would seriously deny that he's worth it. Um, we recognize it's a lot of money. It's $157 million over five years. That's a ton of money. Um, with The reality of the new TV deal in the NBA is that salaries have exploded over the past five or ten years, and young players are eligible to make this type of money now. But Devin Booker has the potential to be in the pantheon of Sun's Mm -hmm. greatness up there with Steve Nash and Charles Barkley. I I absolutely believe that at this point. So um, I think committing to him, giving him those uh, extra five years on his deal now, and just trying to build towards the future is the best thing before we make any other moves.
1: That's exactly right. Now, Devin Booker... He makes $3.3 million next season, so for the 18-19 season. And his extension, when it kicks in, would give him a $23 million raise. And we would go up to $26 million in the 19-20 season. And that would only go up to 28, $30 million, $32 million, and up to an even higher amount in that last year, th- close to $35 million. So it's an important thing to understand. Of course, we have to do this the Suns have to sign him to an extension assuming he's uh, wanting to do it and I think he is there's a funny thing that happened in our exit interviews this year they were interviewing Marquise Chris and he said something about how Devin Booker is going to be buying him dinners as of July 1st so I I think there's an assumption that Devin Booker is going to sign that deal but it also puts a lot of money on the cap for future years Uh, over 30 million dollars in future seasons, so that's a lot of money. I think he's worth it. He's our franchise cornerstone. We have to prove to other players around the league that we're willing to invest in uh in our stars, so it's definitely worth it.
2: yeah, not a question about that,
1: so that'll happen. I imagine we'll get some news about that July first. Sometimes they move off the signing date to a future date, so they're saying yes. He's going to sign, and then they wait a week or two to sign him when they kind of maneuver the cap. Because if we do sign a free agent that puts us over the cap in a future year, because Devin Booker is a player the Suns drafted we can actually sign him to go above the cap in future years. So that's something that can happen. Now, I want to talk a little about free agency as a whole. Now, we heard that McDonough wants to look for veteran point guards and a veteran stretch power forward. Overall, what do you think should be important for the Suns in free agency?
2: Um, I think th- this is ultimately going to be something that we probably agree with, but maintaining long-term flexibility while also showing a commitment to not tanking. And what I mean by that is we need to be targeting players that are actually good, particularly at the power forward position where I don't want to spend another season watching Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris eat up all the minutes there and frustrate me, although I am hoping that they show you know, some level of development and the same with point guard. I I don't want to see it like be exclusively Brandon Knight and Elliot Kobo. So I want to bring in some, some veterans that are really going to force some development out of these guys and and show some commitment to winning. We've talked about in the past, it doesn't have to be playoffs. It just has to be like 30 or maybe 35 wins would be a successful season next year for the Suns in my book. But at the same time, I think you don't want to make the wrong moves. You don't want to hand out a Tyson Chandler type of contract in my opinion um that we did several years ago where you're paying a guy who's already in his early thirties for the next four years, like $15 long million term, dollars each right. year. Long term money. Yeah, I think I think it's a little easier to justify that long term money if it's a if it's a young guy who's gonna grow with your young core. Um and there are a plethora of restricted free agents who sort of fall under that umbrella that we can talk about. But yeah, overall I think like if you could maybe give some veterans one or two year deals, maybe three year deals but mostly one or two-year deals, maintain that long-term flexibility, have some cap space a couple summers from now when you're trying to add to a Devin Booker, a Josh Jackson that are more in their prime by then, that would be what's best for the Suns going forward.
1: Maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid of the timeline, but any long-term money scares me. Even, Even young players actually kind of scares me. And the reason I say that is because I look at the timeline kind of versus the process. The process was the first thing that we saw the 76ers, what they did losing on purpose, kind of for years and years and years to get the highest draft picks possible, and then hope that they have a team that makes sense over time. And the 76ers are in a really interesting place right now in that they just made the playoffs with their young guys as their stars. And now they have a massive amount of cap space because most of their best players are still on rookie contracts and it kind of, Sucks that Devin Booker we didn't do that this last season because Devin Booker's extension kicks in next year. But after next season, if the Suns really show promise with all of their young players, Josh Jackson could have a breakout year, DeAndre Ayton could win rookie of the year, Mikael Bridges could be the perfect fit. If everything works, the attractiveness of the Suns as a destination will go up a lot next season. So The idea of signing players now, it's just a little scary. You know, obviously in the draft, you take the best player available, but with free agency, you kind of look for the best fit available and and, and choosing the best fit now before we see all these players play together. It's difficult. Obviously, we can make some assumptions based on how they play. It's just a little scary for me. It's not to say that I don't think that we should sign any free agents, although I wouldn't mind watching this team as constructed, but maybe that just shows how used to losing I am. (laughs) But
2: (laughs) Yeah, we're bonafide losers at this point i think that definitely shows yeah, but
1: I, it's just an interesting I, I i i'm a little scared of it now i want to break down the actual suns cap situation so this can get a little boring but we got to get into the numbers in some detail here in order to uh cover it the suns are actually projected above the cap next year with all the current cap holds. So there are some players that are free agents. What a cap hold is, it's the assumption that a player is going to get a raise. And until the Suns renounce the rights to free agents, either restricted or or some free agents are non-restricted and still have cap holds, until they renounce the rights, that's not free cap space. They can't use that cap space to sign other players. They do have the ability of renouncing rights and still re-signing players afterwards. Um, But that's, that's possible. But we have a couple free agents that we have heard some news on the expectation is the Suns are going to renounce Alex Lynn and Alfred Payton. Now we haven't talked much about Alfred Payton. Neither of us are huge fans of Alfred Payton and how he played over the last uh, few months of the season, but it sounds like he is no longer going to be a son uh, no matter what. Now, if we renounce both of those players uh, that will create about 10 million in space up front. What do you think about renouncing Alex Slen and Alfred Payton?
2: Necessary, completely necessary. Um, I'll start with Alfred Payton. I just don't really think he contributes. Well, we haven't seen him play with his new hair yet, right? Like his hair blocks his his face. Maybe he'll make more layups. 40%
1: three-point
2: shooter. (laughs) 100% three-point shooter starting next season. I could see him going (laughs) to the Spurs and and being, God knows what, Oscar Robertson. But overall, (laughs) I think Alfred Payton doesn't contribute to winning basketball. I don't think he really showed the effort on defense. He can't shoot. And I don't think that's necessarily something that's going to be like an indictment of him for his entire career. He could still potentially carve out a role as a solid guy. I look at a guy like Sean Livingston on Golden State, who has a few rings now, or a couple rings now, um, and he can't shoot, but he gives effort on defense and was able to carve out that role as a role player. I think Alfred Payton could do that somewhere down the line as well. He just needs to be able to either make Mm. rapid improvement really fast and become a starting caliber Mm. guy. I don't know. I I mean I think if he swallows his pride and is just willing to accept a benching, he could still contribute for a good team. He just can't be a starter. He's not going to be a starter on a good team. His entire career is just going to be him if he's starting, it's going to be on lottery teams like us.
1: After the Eric Bledsoe experiment, I'm just I don't want to watch another point guard that's inconsistent in effort and in play. It's just so frustrating. We're, you know, we're the Suns. We we're used to watching amazing guard play for years and years and years and years. And I, you know, I'm, I, I'm glad to see Alfred Payton go. I, I don't think that it's impossible for him to be good. I think it's possible for him to be good in the future, but there are things that have to change. He has to get better at shooting and his effort has to be more consistent on offense and defense. There are times where he does not drive to the basket at all and his defensive effort wanes entirely as does any player that played on the Suns for the last few years. Maybe that's not his fault. I didn't watch him that much in Orlando. But I mean, Mike, don't, you, just, think, I don't, see it.
2: don't you think Don't you that that's where culture comes into play? Like, you know, oh, yeah, I'm talking absolutely. about Sean Livingston. You know, you go to Golden State, you're coached by Steve Kerr. You're with all these superstars. There's a certain – the bar is raised. There's a certain level of expectation. And – to some level, I agree with the notion that the Suns were tanking at the end of last season. How do you expect Alfred Payton to you know, be going out there and giving it his all? Right. Obviously, I don't agree with that because you have a guy like Shaq Harrison who was giving it his all because he was playing for a paycheck. Alfred obviously wasn't paying for a paycheck. Otherwise, I think we would have seen better out of him. But the culture is real and culture makes a difference. And I think when it comes to us trying to sign a lot of these free agents, especially the higher level ones, I don't know at this point, what sort of culture we're going to be able to sell them on. I mean, it's just not a high point for us right now. We're trying to build that culture from the ground up starting this season with our new coach, our fancy new prospects, but it's not there yet. And there are a lot of other teams that these uh, players could choose if they're looking for like a a good culture with a a good track record when it comes to development.
1: Well, the other, the other side of that is the end of the Alex Len experiment. And I don't know about you, but I'm, Pretty excited to see that. And it, it's been a very frustrating development process for Alex Lynn. He, he has trouble catching the ball. He's inconsistent. His defense has been good over, you know, some stretches of the season. He's been injured. Um, but well, that's no more Alex Lynn no more. What do you think about Alex?
2: Um, I like him, actually. Uh, I don't like him so much. I think it was necessary to renounce him because we're talking about the cap space right now. We wouldn't have had cap space if we re-signed Alex at least not not enough to really get anyone, you know, worth it. So it it was necessary to renounce him. That doesn't mean, however, that I'm conceding that Alex was a negative, because he wasn't. The honest truth is that Alex Len was one of our best players last year, whether you like it or not. His hands suck, but he's still a good rebounder. He's still a good defender. He still sets screens. He does things that matter on an NBA basketball court, and if we don't replace the types of skill set that he brings to the table, we don't replace that with some sort of trade or free agent then it's going to make it, it's going to make an impact on us next year. We're going to be a noticeably worse defensive uh team when it comes to like protecting the rim when it comes to getting rebounds because Alex Len legitimately provided that and it is a sort of skill set that needs to be replaced. That doesn't mean I'm going to cry about the loss of him. Uh it doesn't mean that I think I, he's going to go to another team and become a superstar. But I do think Alex Len leaving the Suns technically is a negative that needs to be righted. It's not all positives for us this offseason. We do have some uh some outgoing talent that needs to be replenished.
1: Yeah, obviously we have DeAndre Ayton coming in. And that's, the, that's the real reason that Alex Lynn is 100% going to be gone. I don't think Alex Lynn is going to make a lot of money on his next contract regardless of where he goes. And maybe if we did not pick, maybe if we went with Luka Doncic, there's a chance that Alex Lynn would have stayed in a Suns uniform. But the real truth of it is, what made Alex Lynn frustrating to watch is that there was potential there and his defensive effort was relatively consistent, maybe the most consistent of any player on their team. Uh, I don't think we've talked about it yet on the podcast, but the myth of Tyson Chandler's rim protection, (laughs) he has not been a good rim protector. He's been terrible on the Suns as a rim protector. He's been a good rebounder, he sets fantastic screens, and he rolls hard. Those are good skills, It's not that Tyson Chandler has been an overall negative for the team. I actually don't think that some of the best basketball we've played in the last season was with Tyson Chandler on the floor, but he was not protecting the rim. The only rim protector we actually had was Alex Lynn and losing that will matter. And, you know, in a reduced role, maybe Tyson Chandler's defense will all of a sudden reappear. But I think the idea is that Tyson Chandler will be around to help develop DeAndre Ayton's defense and, and maybe that'll be mentally more than physically, because Tyson Chandler, he just doesn't do it anymore. So losing Alex Lynn, that will matter for that. But there's another center we can talk about. So obviously Alex Lynn, Peyton, they're gone, according to gone. Scott Bordeaux, actually. Forget Peyton about Scott.
2: them. Yeah, they're gone. Out of your mind.
1: Now that's that's ten million in space. That doesn't create much space to sign not even maybe a mid tier, lower tier. Uh, t agent uh, free agent it's still not much space there so we have to continue creating space now the That's, next one is one third of carmelo anthony by the way talk about
2: for those of you who yeah. who need someone to put the math in perspective 10 million dollars is one third of carmelo anthony's salary next season
1: oh my god i just shivered you sent a shiver down my spine
2: at least we're not them right
1: <laughs> well they do have russell westbrook which is also a very frustrating player to watch actually um, but the next guy that we probably are going to cut is – this one hurts. It's big sauce. Alan Williams, local local stud. Don't.
2: Don't do it to me.
1: No. I, don't wanna, I don't want to. I, I'm a huge fan of Alan Williams. I think Alan Williams, one, he's been great on the court. Uh, you know, obviously, he got injured this last year, which matters. That's an important part of this conversation. I think if he was not injured last year and proved that he could be an effective player going forward – this conversation could be different, but he didn't play much. He sets great screens. He's a huge body under the rim. He gets great rebounds. And the other thing is people play harder when he's on the floor. There's certain kinds of players that bring up the energy of everybody else on the floor. And Alan Williams is one of those players. And the other thing too, and I know this is a little, you know, it's off the court, but I've been following very closely Brandon Knight's, uh, you know, recovery from his injury. And it seems like, Alan Williams and Brandon Knight have bonded off the floor and Brandon Knight has shown more pride in being a Phoenix son, Maybe more uh, perspective, of course, as we talked about on the last episode. Someone who's injured, you know, it gives you a lot of perspective. I'm just lucky to be here. I'm lucky to make millions of dollars playing basketball. But I think Alan Williams had a lot to do with that. And losing a player like that, someone who can kind of bring everyone together, make everyone feel like a family off the court, um, that's going to hurt. But he makes $5.5 million. He's he's on a non-guaranteed deal, and we could just cut him. And that would mean we'd be at you know, $15.5 million and now we're talking about a, a potential free agent that could make a difference. So we've got to lose Alan Williams, most likely.
2: Yeah, it's, it's sad. It's just a reality that we would have to accept. I, I think we need to feel out the free agent market first and see if there's actually anyone who's going to want to sign with us. Well, obviously, there's another option that we could talk about, and that's like a team like Atlanta right now, for instance, that's just starting their rebuild and is going to go into next season with a lot of cap space is potentially a team that would be willing to take an expiring deal like Tyson Chandler or Jared Dudley. I know we just talked about Tyson Chandler mentoring Um, DeAndre Ayton, but potentially if you could find a partner that's willing to take that salary cap dump of Dudley or Chandler and we attach a couple second round picks or maybe a first round pick like the Milwaukee first round pick to them, that's how you create cap space without letting go of Allen Williams or if you want to create so much cap space that you you have that max contract flexibility and you can really go after one of the top guys in this class. Not LeBron James, not Kevin Durant. Remember, we are the Phoenix Suns, so if you're thinking about those, just stop. But by, by top guys, I mean like Aaron Gordon, Clint Capella, Jabari Parker. Like those are top guys. And I know they're not top guys, but if we want that much money, you could uh, waive Alan Williams and then trade one of Dudley or Chandler and you start to get into the figure of where we would need to be then.
1: Well, actually, so now that you mentioned that, if we waived Alex Lynn, uh Alfred Payton, or we renounced them, and then waived Alan Williams, non-guaranteed, and then there's three more... Uh, non-guaranteed contracts that we can get rid of fairly easily. Euliss, Shaquille Harrison, Devon Reed, um, obviously players that played. You 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 may have heard our opinions on Shaq Harrison. We both really liked him, but it really doesn't make sense if we need that cap space. It it, it makes sense to get rid of him, no matter how much it would hurt. If we did waived all of those players, that gets us to about twenty million dollars in cap space, and that's actually not even enough. For a max deal on somebody who is going into their second contract, somebody like Aaron Aaron Gordon. Gordon. Aaron
2: Gordon's starting salary for a max contract for Aaron Gordon would also be like $25 million.
1: It's yes, $25.3 million, and it goes up from there. It's similar to what Devin Booker's is going to be like, but the projected cap for when Devin Booker starts next season is a little bit higher. So Devin Booker starts at twenty six point three, so a million more. And it would go up from there. It's a $148 million deal would be the max deal that you can get for Aaron Gordon. That's the max deal, I should say, that Orlando has the ability of... of, of signing him to so that's a that's a hugely expensive deal Uh, and they can get that five years we can get four years and offer it to him and and you know force them force their hand to sign him Uh, but that's not enough to do that so the only other way to create enough cap space to sign a player like Aaron Gordon or Jabari Parker is trading contracts into space for picks so a team that has a lot of cap space someone like Atlanta that you're talking about can trade uh, a pick, maybe like a protected second rounder we can get with of Jared Dudley or Tyson Chandler. They have enough cap space to absorb their deal and then we take on no money back. That creates space. That's one of the options. Uh, the other option would be that, of course, they give back non-guaranteed deals that we could then waive and then that would clear sure. space. Or the other, uh, one other option, of course, is is a sign and trade where, say, Aaron, someone like Aaron Gordon could sign with Orlando and then trade for... Uh, TJ Warrens or Marquise Chris or some other players that would help create enough cap space to make enough space to fit Aaron Gordon's deal with the Suns that that gets a lot more complicated. And a lot of that depends on how interested it, those teams would be in any players on the Suns, so, you know, and keep in mind, unless we're talking about Devin Booker, Josh Jackson, DeAndre Ayton, all those other guys are just all those other guys. They're not exactly incredibly attractive Trade pieces. I know that as Suns fans, we we feel a little more protective of them, but even DeAndre Ayton called them all those other guys. So (laughs) who knows how interested those teams would be in trading for those contracts?
2: There is one other option you're forgetting. Oh, what is it? Stretch provision. Ah, yes. You could wave and stretch Jared Dudley or Tyson Chandler. The way the stretch provision works, you take a player who's on, say, a one year contract. You take all the money they're owed and you still have to give it to them, but you give it to them in three years instead of one. If they've got two years left on their contract, they get it in five years instead of two because the formula is twice the number of years plus one. Anyway, we did this with uh, Michael Beasley back in the day and you screw yourself over long term. Yeah, another shiver. That's, That's my job. Um, you really screw yourself over long-term here. Instead of paying Jared Dudley $10 million in one fell swoop next season, we could wave and stretch him, only pay him $3.3 million next season, but then have to pay him $3.3 million the next two years after that as well. So, you know, you've got the ghost of Jared Dudley haunting Mm -hmm. you for the next several years while we're trying to be a good team. Um, But it is a way to create fast uh, cap space if you're really strapped for it. And if there's really a player we're in love with, that could be an option for the Suns as well.
1: Yeah, if there's a player that we're really in love with and nobody, no other teams are interested in any of our assets enough to give us the cap space, that would be the reason we could do that. The reason I didn't even think of that as a deal is, just as I talked about earlier, how valuable I think future cap space is going to be for us. The idea of paying Jared Dudley two years from now, I'm not a huge fan of that, but I do think that maybe if Aaron Gordon is a real possibility, uh, that could be something that McDonough would do or yeah the the real person he would have to sell on it is our cheap owner robert
2: sarver <laughs> yeah because every time you do that you get closer to potentially having to pay the luxury tax in the future and robert sarver is the type of owner where i don't think we'd be going into the luxury tax unless uh <laughs> unless we're the best team in the league
1: yeah all right so There's a couple of guys. So we're going to talk about this free agency conversation in an interesting way. We're each going to choose in the two options that McDonough said we're looking at, which is a stretch power forward and a veteran point guard we're each going to choose somebody that we could that we want and maybe somebody that we don't want so we can choose the best scenario and maybe the worst scenario for each of those positions but there's a couple players we want to talk about obviously we talked uh, about Aaron Gordon let's talk a little bit more about Aaron Gordon before we get to our choices here um, Aaron Gordon, like we said, it's probably not possible without a sign trade or trading some players for some cap space. His deal would start at about 25 million and only go up from there. Aaron Gordon has played every position it seems like on the roster on Orlando, but re- usually three, four, and potentially five. Um, he's young; he's still, I believe, 23. He's six foot nine, 220 pounds, averaged 17 eight and two, uh, shot 33% from three last year. It's the best percentage that he's shot in his career. It was in the (laughs) twenties before that. Uh, so it's not exactly a great sign for the stretch part of the stretch four. but he did shoot 39%, uh, on catch and shoot threes and 37% from the corner. So, depending on shot selection, and I imagine he was the guy with the ball in his hands at the end of the shot clock a lot in Orlando. So, he's probably jacking up some threes in those scenarios. We have Devin Booker and DeAndre Eight, and he probably wouldn't be that here. But I imagine that shooting percentage from three, depending on how much you believe in his shooting, it could actually improve from that 33%. Do you believe in Aaron Gordon's shot?
2: No uh actually well it's not necessarily that i don't believe in aaron gordon shot it's that i think we have better options on our very own roster my hot take when it comes to this is that i think if you gave marquise chris two more years he could be aaron gordon it's just about waiting aaron gordon to break it down a little more he shot his true shooting percentage last year was 53 percent he's never he's never had a true shooting percentage above league average in his career so far through four years and i think part of that plays into playing on a bad team where you get worse looks because you're kind of the star player but this is a guy who i think his value tanked maybe it didn't tank with the market if you know someone still gonna offer him a max contract but in my mind at least it tanked uh, after the all-star break because after the all-star break he was still putting up his counting stats he still averaged 16 and 7 but he shot 41 percent from the field 31% from three and 65% from the free throw line. And folks, we're talking about a power forward here. 41 and 31 for a power forward and free throw shooting's bad too, but that's just terrible all around. And I think Marquise Chris even beat those numbers in the second half of last season. Mm-hmm. So I think the plus side when you're talking about Aaron Gordon is defensive versatility and he definitely has a lot of defensive versatility. Does he have so much defensive versatility that it's worth paying him $25 million a year over paying Marquis Chris $3 million a year? No, I wouldn't say that at all.
1: Yeah, it's a little scary of a thought. And I think Aaron Gordon is a very likely player that we look at. Now, Aaron Gordon is a restricted free agent. We should mention that as well. That means that If we offered Aaron Gordon a max, one, we would have to trade some players to make that possible, or Orlando would have to agree to a sign-and-trade. If Orlando agreed to a sign-and-trade, obviously the Suns would be getting Aaron Gordon. But if they didn't, we traded other players for cap space, which we don't necessarily have to do before offering a contract. I believe we can renounce certain players and still uh, sign them to an offer sheet. Uh, If we did sign them to an offer sheet, Orlando would then have three days to match that offer or choose to let him walk. Now, Orlando did just draft Mo Bamba. Um, They they drafted another big man. So there is a possibility that they don't let him walk. But Orlando, I just don't see it. I think they're going to match whatever he's offered. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think they match whatever. whatever. I don't think Jonathan Isaac is ready to play. Yeah, Jonathan Isaac isn't ready to be the full-time four on that team next to Bamba, although that is a really long lineup. Um, I, I think they're desperate and will probably match for Aaron Gordon.
1: It just makes sense. Now, I don't know why they have so many big men on their roster. That is an insane lineup. Orlando, they I don't blame them for taking Mobamba. I think that that's a good pick. Mo Bamba could be really great. He's a very high potential prospect, but Jonathan Isaac, Aaron Gordon, Mobamba, Bamba, Bismack Biombo, these are just a bunch of massive dudes, and they're, they're not all going to get to play, and the less they play the less their trade value is. But it does make sense for them to have good players. They have more flexibility in future deals. So if they do want to make some trades this year, having these players on contracts makes them potentially better assets. I don't know if Aaron Gordon making over $30 $30 million a year is a great asset, but... That's not an
2: asset as much as it's an atomic bomb, so...
1: Well, Aaron Gordon... We should recap Orlando a little bit. When they when the season started, Orlando was good for a few weeks. Everyone was, you know, <laughs> yeah, back when was it was going to be the Magic and the Clippers in the finals, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Magic and the Clippers is what we all thought was going to happen, and that was kind of a surprise and I don't know, Orlando's kind of up and down and all over the place, and and who knows what they're going to look like. I, I wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden Dwight Howard was signing a deal to go back there and they had another center. Uh, they, they can do all kinds of different things, but I have a feeling that they're going to keep Aaron Gordon. The only way that we – to me, the only way that we end up with Aaron Gordon on the roster is if they really like TJ Warren, for example, and we could actually move – TJ Warren to get someone like Aaron Gordon on our roster. If
2: we're paying Aaron Gordon that much, then I don't think that's worth it at all.
1: I don't know that it is either. Uh you know, I it depends. It's it's difficult. If you believe in Aaron Gordon's ability to improve his jump shot, then he could be a really 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 valuable player in the future. But if you don't uh, you know, if you don't believe in that, then that kind of says everything. It, that's really the beginning and the end of the Aaron Gordon conversation.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's really he's just the four. He's not the stretch. And if I'm paying 25 million dollars you know, you could be damn sure I want the stretch and the four. So yeah,
1: <laughs> so maybe maybe the Aaron Gordon buzz because there's been Aaron Gordon buzz for weeks. I think before even the end of the season, there was reports that the Suns were going to offer Aaron Gordon a max contract or a near max contract. I believe is how it was worded. Um, so maybe that's not real because if we if we're going to take McDonough at face value, we're going to believe what he said about a stretch four. Either he believes that Aaron Gordon's a stretch four and has the ability of being a stretch four. Or he's not interested in Aaron Gordon the way that things have been reported. Things are relatively secretive about McDonough. We didn't hear anything about the Mikhail bridges trade until it happened. We didn't hear anything about the Dragon bender marquise chris moves until they happened. So we'll have no idea until until the last minute. Of course, there will be a ton of rumors coming out over the next few weeks. The other guy I want to talk about, this one's an interesting one, Jabari Parker. Now, Jabari Parker, power forward, played for... Minnesota, or Milwaukee still currently playing for Milwaukee, another restricted free agent, but a more interesting restricted free agent because he's been injured. He played only in 150 games over four seasons in Milwaukee because of injuries. Now, some people consider this a high risk signing. I consider it a high risk signing. Some people consider it a low risk signing because maybe he wouldn't be a max free agent because of those, uh, because of those injuries concerns what do you think about jabari
2: um as a player i like jabari and i think he has a lot of potential maybe to fit in with the Suns, he has some bad tendencies that w- would have to be fixed by coaching um he only played 24 minutes a game this past season right so it's a big gamble because if he gets injured again and isn't able to play full time you know then he's really not doing much but with those 24 minutes a game this season per 36 he averaged 19 7 and 3 on 55% true shooting. Those are pretty good numbers. He averaged 20 points a game in a full-time role when he actually was playing um, like 35 minutes a game the year before. My question to you is sort of uh, th- this thing that came out with Jabari. He, uh, a reporter back in April, I believe, asked if it was true that the team had offered him an $18 million a year extension, like four years, $18 million a year. So I guess that would be four years, mm-hmm. $72 million. He said, I wish, was, <laughs> was his response. So it all comes down to whether you believe him or not. But if you believe him, then I think there's a big difference between paying Jabari, who's admittedly a big risk, $18 million a year, if that's all it takes to get it done, versus paying Aaron Gordon $25 million a year. Because I think the, the high reward that potentially comes out of Jabari, I mean, that's another 20-point-per-game score, and he's a much better shooter when it comes to spot-ups. Um, synergy stats, tracks you know, these certain types of uh, play types and shows how efficient players are in certain types of plays. When it comes to spot shooting, um, Jabari's pretty good. He's above average, 57th percentile in the league. When it comes to transition play, he's actually really good. He ranks in the 88th percentile um, because, you know, even if he's lost a step, he's still this athletic wing that could run the floor with Josh Jackson, Mikael Bridges and Devin Booker. And that's, you know, offensively, I think he could really fit into this team.
1: It's all theoretical, though, because what if he just doesn't play? Oh, it's uh, there's absolutely. just a possibility. That
2: they if can't he play. Does, well, yeah. If he if he doesn't play, then it's worse than getting Aaron Gordon, right? Because Aaron Gordon, if he's on the court, is probably a positive right. contributor most of the time. I mean, if he's shooting forty percent from the field, then I really do think even that is suspect. But he's probably a positive contributor. And if Jabari's not playing, he's not playing. That's... But do we do we have you know the ability to keep sitting this one out like? Wouldn't you argue that we have to start taking risks eventually? I, I, I could see that. Space?
1: I just think well, we'll talk a little bit more soon when we get into players we like and players we don't like or players we want and players we don't want, but I just think that that might not be worth the risk there long-term money. I'm afraid of I'm afraid of <laughs> committing to long-term money. I'm a believer in the timeline, so signing a guy with injury, that large of injury risk who could be potentially relatively expensive. I just it scares me a little bit, but I think he would be a great fit in a perfect world, although his three point shooting hasn't been all that great either. I think maybe he's not as stretchy as, as McDonough wants, or maybe McDonough was being a little vague and how stretchy he needs them to be because Jabari Parker has high potential.
2: The truth is if we want just like a pure stretch four, there are a bunch of cheap guys we could go for, but all of the top three point, uh, sorry, all the top power forward free agents in this class. I mean, <laughs> Julius Randall, Derek favors, Aaron Gordon, these right. aren't stretch fours. So when, when McDonough is talking about that, it almost also makes me think if he's considering a trade of some sort that we just don't know about.
1: You mean like a Kevin Love trade?
2: I mean, that's, I think, the first name that comes to people's minds, right? Mm-hmm. If, if LeBron leaves and Cleveland's blown it up. But, you know, maybe that, maybe there are other guys out there, too. It's you know it's a shame that Nikola Mirotic um has one more year left on his deal. I thought like when I was thinking uh, doing research before this episode, I was thinking he was about to be a free agent, and that would have been like especially with how he played in the playoffs, that would have been a perfect signing for us. But he uh, has one more year left on his deal, so can't the do research like
1: that. <laughs> Nikola Miritich came back. The tank came back to Chicago. Mirotic. The Bulls won six in a row and changed their draft pick from potentially a top 5 pick to outside of the top 5 and he
2: immediately got moved. He's just that good.
1: I like Miritich as well. He his shooting uh, maybe a bit of a myth as well, but that pump fake, man. It doesn't matter if you can uh, if you can hit the three if people have to defend it regardless because spacing matters as well and and he provides spacing even if he shoots 33 or 34% from three or whatever it was this last season. One more injured player I want to talk about? pat beverly patrick beverly no patrick oh, beverly it's not even a free agent i know i know but patrick beverly only played 11 games last season i uh, just he,
2: have to insert patrick beverly into every conversation because i feel like he's the sun's he's getting he's the all perfect the love fit. from suns fans right now the perfect fit the glove
1: yes he is uh he had knee surgery though so i know no maybe not maybe
2: not that much of a glove anymore
1: i know but he's capable of shooting 40% from three. He is one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA at the point guard position. He is on a non-guaranteed $5 million contract with the Clippers, and the Clippers just drafted Shea, Gilgis Alexander, and Jerome Robinson. They're both guards. Shea's a point guard. Jerome can play kind of both guard spots. Um, Jerome
2: might not play anything in the NBA. I mean, God, that was a bad pick. But...
1: I'm I shocked. I was shocked. Who, yeah. I think, is the reaction I heard in the arena. Who? Nobody knew who he was. Um, is If the Clippers waive Pat Beverly, which is possible, to me, I think they would want him on a $5 million contract, but maybe they're willing to trade him on that $5 million contract. Do you think the Suns would be interested? I think absolutely the yeah. Suns would be interested. I just, the likelihood <laughs> of him being a free agent is what we're going to talk about, I guess.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, if it's a trade option, I think the Suns would consider Pat Bev. He's a he's. A, I'll indulge you. He's a good fit, <laughs> and he's got a good skill set. He would be good next to Booker. And we have to talk about him because
1: it's what Suns fans are talking about. I mean, yeah, as I mean he's he never a great defender. Twitter. It's, it's talking.
2: It's talking about changing the culture, right? And like, you know, the difference between him and a player like Marcus Smart is, first of all, I mean, I think. Marcus Smart is a lot softer than he tries to portray himself as. And like Pat Bev strikes me as <laughs> actually hard. All right. But I, I, have a, I have a bit of a bias against Marcus Smart. But also mostly yes. that Pat Bev can kind of shoot. And that's huge. How many players can actually play defense and shoot? And how many, how many of those players are cheap and wouldn't cost that much in a trade like Pat Bev? You know, I mean, that yeah, really Some just, of them
1: cost the Miami pick.
2: Yeah, I mean, so that says it all about Pat Bev. There's a reason to be interested.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, guards, let's just run through a couple players. We don't have to talk about them yet. Let's just list them out here. Marcus Smart, Zach Levine is an option. Some people have written about Fred Van Vliet. Uh, Dante Exum is another guard that's available. Avery Bradley. Um, Avery Bradley. Uh, So these are all options. And then with the power forward, uh, there's Derek favors he plays center and power forward I think he's more of a center but he 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 can do a lot uh, he can't shoot though so I, I don't know if that he's going to be an option uh, Trevor Riza 32 years old Jabari Parker we talked about Lukemba Mute uh, Luke Mute was injured in the playoffs uh, didn't look very good on the floor but still played I got to give him credit for that but it, it looks pretty bad so it'd be interesting I I'm, I'm guessing that injury is not a long-term injury so him being a free agent could be an option Rudy Gay. That's kind of a you know option there Urson Ilyasova it's a good one you know he played for Philadelphia he's played on a couple winning teams um and Thaddeus Young so there's a lot of options there so Thaddeus Young is with...
2: the most sorry just to say one thing about Thaddeus Young mm-hmm. that's like the most non-imposing player in the entire NBA like that's <laughs> the, he's big though Oh e- no but I mean like he's easily the most forgettable guy like Thad oh, Young yeah. is the definition of an average starting, not starting, but just like an average fringe starter power forward. Like, yeah, he's been the same player eleven years straight. Has always been on these teams that are mediocre. Like he's just the definition. Last, he was of on average.
1: Indiana. Indiana was good
2: for the East. I mean, would they well, make the playoffs in the, in the West? But anyway, we'll we'll move on. We'll maybe we'll touch on Thad Young a little bit more, but.
1: Now, who do you want to? St- what, do you- what position do you want to start with here when we talk about who we want and who we don't want? Let's guard, guard or power forward?
2: Let's start with guard.
1: Okay, good. you go first. You can choose either one. We'll start with who you want or who you don't want, or you can go into both.
2: This isn't exactly a secret for those who have like followed me in the past, but here's the guy I want is Fred Van Vliet. I'll start by dropping a stat on you, okay? Out of the many, many dozens of lineups, that played at least 300 minutes together, these five-man lineups in the entire NBA. The second-best lineup in the whole league, not among benches, but in the whole league, second-best lineup was the Raptors bench, which was Van Vliet, Dellen Wright, CJ Miles, Pascal Siakam, and Jakob Purtle. A, a collection, a true potpourri of, at least by the eye test, mediocre talents, right? was the second best lineup by second best lineup by net rating in the entire NBA. Again, mm. this bench, a plus 17.1 net rating per 100 possessions. So, I mean, I think the natural question when you look at that, that that lends itself to is why. And I think a lot of it has to do with the point guard abilities of Fred Van Vliet. I'm also a big fan of Wright. So, like, if Wright came up in trade talks as a young guy, I would go after him too. Here's the thing about Fred Van Vliet. We talked a lot in our draft episode, right, about how much we like switchable defenses and long wingspans and whatever. Fred Van Vliet can't do that. He went undrafted because he's has no wingspan and because he's, I think, six feet tall in the first place. Yeah, he's six feet. However, the guy can shoot the lights out. He shot 42% from three last year in his second season, playing 20 minutes per game. Um, he had uh, an assist to turnover ratio of over three. Basically, if we talk about our point guards wanting to do three things, right, you want them to be able to pass the ball effectively. You want them to, well, I guess this comes with it. You want them to pass the ball effectively. You want them to be able to defend and you want them to space the floor. The reason Tyler Uless is about to have played his last game as a Phoenix Sun is because he can only do one of those three things. Mm -hmm. If Tyler Uless had a 40% three point shot, then even with his lack of defense, I would be all aboard him, you know, as a backup point guard for the Suns because he could do two of those three things. Fred Van Vliet, we sign him. He's not going to fix our defense, but he does those other two things so well in terms of shooting and taking care of the ball that he would improve our offense enormously. And I don't think it's even a stretch to say that if we brought in Fred Van Vliet as the backup point guard next year behind Brandon Knight, with Brandon Knight having an iffy track record in the past and coming off an injury, there could be plenty of opportunities for Van Vliet to steal that starting spot by season's end because he's only 23 Right. right now and he could develop into a starting caliber point guard.
1: I like that. And, you know, I could see, you know, in smaller lineups, them even playing together. uh, You know, Brandon and I, we've done the experiment as a two guard. And in some lineups, I could see Devin Booker playing three. We can play a small lineup. And yeah, I could see that. I I, I like Fred Vembley. I do have fear about any small point guard after watching these recent playoffs and finals, just the way they're abusing and, and and just isoing small players and trying to get them down into the underneath the basket playing Charles Barkley ball up basically but uh I think he would actually be a good fit mostly because I don't know that he would be that expensive I think that we could probably get him for maybe around I don't know what do you think 10 million
2: 11 oh, million he, I really think so yeah I mean he's again he's a restricted free agent I should have said that cuz he's a young guy so Toronto could always match um and I don't know how they're feeling about him they have Dylan Wright like who can play point guard behind Kyle right. Lowry They don't necessarily need Van Vliet, but how willing are they going to be to give up the guy who, again, was like the leader of the second best lineup in the NBA surprisingly last season? Um, I'm just not sure about that. But yeah, I mean, ideally I'd be looking at eight to 10 million a year. That's what I would hope for.
1: Yeah. I think that would probably, there's not a lot of teams with cap space this year. We didn't talk about that yet, but there's, there's not a lot. I mean, that's one of the reasons it's going to be difficult for the Suns to clear cap space by making trades is that other teams are going to be desperate for cap space. So, uh, you know, it'll all depend on how valuable our assets are. Now, I have a feeling I can guess who you're going to pick as the player you don't want, but I'll let you introduce that. He,
2: he, he needs no introduction. If the Suns signed this player, then Ryan McDonough has officially been played. He will always be the apprentice and never the master And that is because Danny Ainge will have finally fooled him one too many times. And of course, the player that I'm talking about is Marcus Smart, because he's Mm -hmm. the antithesis of everything that I was just talking about. He's a great defender. I'll give Marcus Smart that. He flops a little bit too much. Um, But I just don't think the Suns can afford to bring in a complete non-shooter like that, a complete non-shooter at the guard position. I mean, if we bring in Marcus Smart our point guards last year shot like what a combined 25 30 percent from three we can't fix that by bringing in marcus smart he's not going to develop his three-point shot i like igor but he's not you know he's not brad stevens at least not yet and I, i mean i understand the arguments for why he could maybe work but i just don't see how it would be worth the cost at all
1: well my uh guard that i want and guard that i don't want uh, it's actually pretty easy. It's actually Marcus Smart for both of those options <laughs> because when I think about Marcus Smart, I do kind of think he he's a great defender and and a really great defender. He's one of the best in the league, of course, unless he's trying to guard Devin Booker. But he gets up into people. He, he can guard people that are bigger than him. Uh, he really annoys people in a way that championship teams need. They need a player that gets under people's skin you know you you think about the Draymond Greens uh, Dennis Rodman is is you know one of the most famous ones every team that is a championship contender needs a player like that that can just piss off the other star player and maybe get them a little distracted and I love that in him and then of course there's the Igor move now Igor is credited with helping fix Ricky Rubio's shot now Ricky Rubio's shot we'll see how consistent he is over the next season but uh uh you did see a big improvement this last year and he and Ricky Rubio himself gave a lot of credit to Igor for that so in my mind I'm thinking there's this great defender and we have this great player development coach that can help fix his shot but also he's so annoying to watch it's so hard to watch him on a consistent basis there's been a weird rivalry between the Suns and the Celtics over the last few years and maybe that's subconsciously related to Getting our general manager from them and the fact that they fleeced us on the Isaiah Thomas trade. But watching him play for the Celtics in that rivalry that we've sort of created, that is a little bit one sided because they're so much more successful than us, it's been very frustrating. So I don't really want a player that flops all the time. I don't want a player who can't shoot. So, as intellectually, it does not make sense as a basketball fit other than the defense. But as a dreamer, and also because I think it's kind of likely that we do actually sign him, I think that McDonough was there when he was drafted, and I think he might be a fan of him. Uh, maybe I'm just trying to prepare myself for this being an actual likely possibility.
2: I just I think Boston, both their media and their fan base, do such a good job of spinning positive narratives around Celtics players when there right. aren't. I mean, Avery Bradley was one of the best defenders in the league until he left Boston. And he's still good, but he's not. He's lost a step. I guess you could blame some of that on age, but I think coaching has right. something to, to do with it. I also just have to echo the sentiment that, I mean, Mark is smart if we get him, and you're a Suns fan. You have to admit that he's a flopping bitch. <laughs> you do. I mean, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you can't, like, hold yourself to this high standard of virtue. Like, you have to be like, this guy's kind of an asshole, but I'm going to root for him anyway. You just have to, and I'll do that if we sign Marcus Smart. Um, He has the benefit of pissing other players off. Is it because he plays the right way? No, not necessarily. Like, that's sort of what I was getting at earlier when I was like, I I think he's softer than he gives off. Like, there's a way to play hard, and there's a way to play soft, and flopping is soft. You know, it's bending the rules still. It's, you know, getting things to go your way. But Marcus Smart has been flopping incessantly since he was at Oklahoma. It's very true. So I guess I guess we'll see.
1: So I, we'll I see. Uh, want him and I don't. Now <laughs> let's move on to power forwards here. Uh, you know what? Go ahead and give give me both your options for power forward.
2: Uh, yeah, one guy that's been linked to the Suns a lot in the past and I think we could go for is Derek Favors. Now here's the caveat that I say with that. If the Suns sign Derek Favors, I think it's dependent on the Suns being able to convince Derek Favors to not take a starting role, which might nix it right there, might mean that Derek Favors doesn't come to the Suns. But if we could do that, that would be great, I think. Because I think Derek Favors has a power forward in this stage of his career where the NBA is going as a non-shooter. He's a 20% career three-point shooter, and I don't really think you could um, pair him effectively with Aiton, who's another sort of non-shooter at this point in his career, well together. But if you could get Derek Favors to buy into this idea of being still like a 25-minute-per-game bench big and make him the first big to back up Ayton at center primarily, but then also give him some minutes at the four, that's where his real strength is. Because Derek, Derek Favors, his real strengths at this point, he might be undersized as a center, but he can rebound well. He's a really good at protecting the rim, and he's a rim runner. I mean, that's how he gets his points. You know, he's not going to score from spacing the floor he's not going to score that much creating for himself in the post either so if you could get Derek Favors to buy into this idea of being a center i really like it just to throw a stat there as well um he's fantastic at defending shots inside of 6 feet he allowed opponents to shoot 52% inside of 6 feet when the league average is 62.5% so that is a differential of negative 10.5 wow. Percent, which is really good at protecting the rim. To put that into perspective, I looked at all the players who defended at least 200 shots inside six feet, and Favors with that differential of negative 10 and a half percent ranked sixth out of 136. He was behind only Paul Millsap, stapps Porzingis, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, and Pau wow. Gasol. So he was ahead of even Rudy Gobert. So I think there's a real case to make, and and I think part of it actually may be playing with Rudy Gobert that sort of helps him have that mm-hmm. sort of stat as well. So I don't want to pretend that, you know, maybe it's not uh, skewed a little bit because of that. Like Rudy Gobert helps the entire defense. And that includes what Derek Favors did.
1: Right. And they they did use two big lineups and Igor coached him. So there was some familiarity there and, and, and we yeah. could potentially play him when he's used to playing with another big with Gobert. They didn't do it a lot, but they did do it. So there is a possibility there. And if DeAndre Ayton does improve his shot, then spacing concerns won't be... As large, I mean, if you can space the floor, that's an interesting that's an interesting option.
2: Just to echo what you were saying earlier about Tyson Chandler, by the way. So Favors ranked sixth out of 136 there. Alex Len ranked 31st, so pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Um, not the best room protector there is, but definitely well above average. And Chandler ranked 85th. So mm-hmm. I think that definitely feeds into the the thing that we were talking about, where Tyson Chandler's lost more than a few steps at this point. The myth and of Tyson You just don't see him really contest shots anymore. But yeah, right. so Derek Favors is he's far from a perfect player. I'm willing to admit it. And again, if he is adamant on a starting role, I don't even know that this would work. But I think if Marquise Chris or Dragonbender Bender started at the four, and Derek Favors still got his 25 to 30 minutes a game backing both them and DeAndre Aiden up, and you just forget about Tyson Chandler i mean I, on a winning team i don't think he really gets many minutes at all anymore i think that could be
1: pretty good and who is the player that you don't want
2: um see that's that's more tough i think uh if i could choose one player it'd still be aaron gordon we already hmm. talked about him right not willing to not willing to really throw out that money as well the other guy um that i'm wary of is trevor Ariza. And that is just mostly dependent on the idea of him wanting this report that he maybe wants a four year deal worth between 50 to 60 million, because that's exactly the type of deal that we gave Tyson Chandler that I talked about. I don't want to tie up that sort of long term money in old players like Trevor Riza, who just turned 33. If we could get Trevor Riza on a one or two year deal, I'd be much more open. But a four year deal would terrify me.
1: Well, I love this because we can disagree here. And the reason I say that is because one of the players I really like as a fit is Trevor Ariza. Now, Trevor Ariza, he's a veteran. He's 32. He's not super old, but he's definitely, he's not on the timeline, if you will. He's he's not on the Suns timeline at all. Um, he's a great shooter, an excellent defender, and an undersized-ish power forward that, that is willing to play the power forward. Sometimes it's hard to find a player at Trevor Reza's size. It seems like all the stars that are small forwards all want to play small forward. You can think about even Paul George wanting to play shooting guard. He he just doesn't want to play p- power forward in any way. Someone like Trevor Reza is a willing power forward, a great defender, a great shooter, and here's the other part too. I do agree with you, long-term money, I think $12.5 million, if he does get $50, uh, 50 million, is not actually an overpay for what Trevor Reza could do depending on how healthy he stays over the next uh, four years. But I wouldn't want to do that either. One thing that I would love to pitch to him if, if I were McDonough would be a JJ Redick-type deal that he received in Philadelphia where he's overpaid for one year in order to prove his worth and then... Uh, Because he's such a good fit in the starting lineup, stretches the floor, plays really good defense. He's another one of those guys like uh, you know Mikael Bridges can learn from because Mikael Bridges is kind of in the Trevor Ariza mold. Uh, And he fits right in the lineup. The Suns can kind of prove how good they can be with a player like Trevor Ariza, a championship caliber player, someone who won a championship with the Lakers, and then was just in the Western Conference Finals with the Rockets. He fits right in. He played with James Harden. Another player that you know, we look at sort of as a comp for Devin Booker. Obviously, they're a little different, but adding some of those James Harden skills is something that would really benefit Devin Booker and seeing them play next to each other. So maybe a $20 million one-year deal, if we're able to create the cap wow. space, wow. could actually be something that I would be willing to do for someone like Trevor Reza. One, it secures our cap space long-term. Right, we don't have any long-term money, and two, we sign a player that's that's kind of a perfect fit basketball-wise onto this team. Maybe a little older, like JJ Reddick compared to the process. In uh, in fact, I yeah, think they're about it, the same age. Um, and
2: it sounds exactly like the JJ Reddick signing for Philly last year is what you're advocating yes, for. Yes,
1: and I could see something like that really working out in the Suns' favor because next year there are some. Uh, free agents that could be really good. And if we can see how good the Suns can be with the perfect fit in there, maybe that cap space becomes more valuable to us, especially if we can get rid of someone like Brandon Knight, who's still on, uh, you know, still on sign next season, clear cap space by getting rid of Brandon Knight. Maybe the Nets will want him, you know, N- the Nets is kind of the dumping ground for players that didn't work. out.
2: <laughs> Both for players that didn't work. And yeah, so maybe the Nets will want him. <laughs>
1: and, and, work's and, you know, with, Trevor Riza, I just feel like he is the type of mentor that can really help the Suns, and I agree with your fear: sixty million dollars over four years for a thirty-two-year-old—that's that's kind of insane. Uh, there's not a lot of cap space this year, though, so maybe we can convince him on saying, "Hey, we'll give you a little extra money." Now, there's no reason to think McDonough would do this, and we would have to clear extra cap space to do it and still get a, uh, you know, a point guard, which is likely in all of the scenarios we're talking about. So. There's some machinations that make it very difficult, but most of what we're talking about can be difficult. I can see it, though. I can envision it, and I think it would actually be pretty good.
2: I could see it. I mean, a t- one year 20 million to Trevor Reza, if you were talking about that, sort of kills our ability to go get that mm-hmm. point guard unless, again, we off- offload uh, Dudley or Chandler somewhere or wave and stretch them, which it sounds like you absolutely wouldn't want to do because the entire point of it would be to create long-term cap flexibility. Um, I can kind of get behind this idea. One thing that still worries me a little bit, Trevor Rees averaged a career low, like five rebounds per 36 this year. Um, he's He can play power forward, but like I said, we're losing Alex Len. Alex Len's a really strong rebounder. And so then if you throw Trevor Rees into the mix at the power forward, a guy who I'm not actually so sure of his ability to like be a strong presence inside, obviously he would improve our floor spacing. And that's a given. Um, I don't know. Do you see that as a problem with a with a fit in the roster?
1: Yes, partially, but also Trevor Reza was standing thirty five feet away from the basket because he played for Houston on offense at all times. So it's difficult to run in and get a rebound, any sort of offensive rebound in that case. And I guess the idea is that he would or could potentially be doing that with the Suns if he were to play here as well. And I think you know teams like that they just they don't they don't go for offensive rebounds, so the entire team's offensive rebound rate goes down, including Trevor Ariza's. I haven't really looked into the uh, rebounding stats for trevor reza but i i do hope that with deandre and maybe our rebounding won't be as big of a problem that it's been in, in previous years but it, it remains to be seen i think the kind of veteran leadership the, the ability to stretch the floor and the type of defense that trevor reza can play and the type of players he can defend would make it worthwhile though i think having that kind of defense and that kind of shooting added to this team it would be a really interesting team with all kinds of uh, forwards who can switch Uh, next season if we had someone like him even if it was just for one year and it keeps our cat's face open now all right I want to switch over to who I don't want and forgive me for this but it's Jabari Parker and it's really only because of injury concerns I do think Jabari Parker can be a good fit but I don't think it's worth tying up long-term money for a player who might not play that much and the other thing is his shooting he just i don't I don't know that I believe in it, and maybe part of it is the fact that he's been compared so much to Carmelo Anthony <laughs> at his peak, so that kind of scares me a little bit, and I know it's just basketball related Carmelo Anthony has weird attitude problems, but his basketball has disappeared in the last year or two i just i I just don't think it's worth the risk
2: yeah i mean uh, I can see that certainly.
1: All right, so now, actually, you know what? Let's try and make a little prediction here. What, who do you think is the most likely player? Just pick one, guard or power forward, that the Suns actually sign out of this group.
2: We lost Alex Len. Derek Favors has the Igor connection. We need a big. I think Derek Favors is a really likely, realistic signing for the Suns. And, you know, that's why I say I'd prefer he plays center because if he plays power forward, I don't know how well it would actually work. But I can just see us throwing money at him. All
1: right, you're not going to like this.
2: Don't say Marcus Smart.
1: I think it's Marcus Smart.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're we're going to have some pretty heated discussions in about a week if it's Marcus Smart. <laughs> I'm trying to
1: sell myself on it. I'm trying to sell myself on it. But I think that I just think that connection with McDonough, we've seen time and time again that, that Celtics con- connection matters. It's He values players from there. And, you know, I think that there's a, a strong possibility we at least make an offer. There's still a chance that he's important to Boston. I do think he is important to Boston. So there's a chance that they match anything that he's offered and just go over the cap to, to keep him. But I don't know. I think that that's the most likely player. (laughs) All right. So that's, I think that's it for today. Do you have anything else you want to cover?
2: nope that's that's about it i mean i'm sure the rumors are going to start swirling exactly over the next several days So we'll probably have another episode out before free agency even starts to recap any uh rumors that are going on surrounding the suns
1: i think that's true and i think we can go into a little more of what these players could actually get paid because we didn't even really have time to see how they can fit and some rumors will narrow down who they are don't forget to follow us on twitter subscribe and thank you for listening